0: Welcome back to the Next Frontier Podcast, specifically to the Where Stuff Comes From series. To kick off this episode, I'm going to read a little bit of a meditation that I wrote on where stuff comes from. And I'll let this set the stage and hold it up there as the Where Stuff Comes From thesis. I'll build out on it in individual episodes as this podcast really gets going. But before I dive into this essay that I wrote, this podcast is timely. I think it's extremely important. And I think it's pertinent to anyone who works in American industry, runs their own business, or interacts with the global complex supply chain in any way. If you use an iPhone, if you use email, if you buy groceries, if you consume water that you don't get out of your own well at your house. Now, I know that that probably doesn't make sense to a lot of you because we haven't gotten too far into the Where Stuff Comes From podcast yet. But it will, in due time. So let me get into this essay, this little meditation on where stuff comes from. Where does stuff come from? The answer to this seemingly mundane question is actually extremely complex. Are iPhones and avocados mana from heaven? Or do these technological marvels come from an earthly location? When we pick up a book we are much more likely to think about the content on that book's pages than to take the time to contemplate where the paper, the ink, the glue, and the cardboard originated or where they all finally came together into the book that we're reading. I would argue that both the content inside of the pages and the construction are equally important considerations. Even if you buy sugar cookies made by a local high schooler at a community bake sale, Where do the wheat, the sugar, and the milk that that local high schooler used to bake those cookies, where does that come from? Where does stuff come from is one of those foundational questions that you must ask yourself if you want to awaken to the true nature of the world around you and to be able to operate your business objectively, realistically, and playing by the game that other people are playing all around you. This question also happens to be the one that might help you navigate the rapidly changing geopolitical, business, human rights, et cetera, environments that we're facing today. This question makes sure that you're not caught flat-footed, unprepared, and reflecting retrospectively, saying to yourself, well, I guess that's where that stuff comes from. Too bad I don't have it anymore. Too bad I can't make my products for my customers anymore. My goal is to help you avoid that, to identify the landmines so that you can sure up your supply chain, sure up your stuff chain, make sure that you're reliable, your an- your stuff chains are anti-fragile, and that you are able to prosper and seize opportunity in the chaos that erupts and that evolves as a result of us spending decades not asking where does our stuff come from? Where does that extremely cheap iPhone actually come from? Where does the $100 mic that is producing this beautiful audio that I'm using to record this conversation. Where does that come from? Sure, I bought it at Target, but how did it get to Target? And how did it get to Target for $100? Which the value that this will generate is far beyond that. Where did the raw material inputs come from? Who assembled it? How many ships did this thing go on? So I wanna describe a concept. What is this stuff chain? At a high level, All stuff comes from minerals, metals, gases, and liquids locked in the ground, diffused through the sky, or grown by organic biological processes. That quote-unquote raw stuff is then whiz-banged by extremely smart humans and 10,000 years of cultural and technology evolution into the processed, usable, quote-unquote material stuff that feeds manufacturing operations many levels of manufacturing operations slowly work and rework that material stuff into the product stuff that we love and we consume either as business owners or just in our everyday lives one last piece that's extremely important transportation systems trains boats trucks planes whatever hyperloops place that's close to my heart if anyone's familiar with my background they all move this stuff, whether it be the raw stuff, the material stuff, or the product stuff, they move it thousands of miles around the earth. That's all pretty simple, right? Well, professionals and industrialists, and folks who spend their whole lives working on this stuff, and this whole stream of where stuff comes from, they'll call this a supply chain. Some people, more so in the tech community, they'll call it a value chain. But To keep this simple, and to keep it, let's say millennial friendly and Gen Z friendly, I am right at the border of both of those groups, born in 1997. So, I believe the cutoff is 1996, 1997, from millennial to Gen Z. So I can I can say that. Um, But just to keep it simple, I'm going to talk about where stuff comes from as the stuff chain. You know, said another way, it's how do we turn minerals in the ground. Water in the ocean or in the atmosphere or in a lake, air, nitrogen in the air, bacteria that grow in our farms, whatever it might be, how do we turn all of those raw materials and energy, energy from the sun, energy that's that's locked in the ground, energy from hydroelectric, energy from wind, how do we turn that into human flourishing and into real value-creating products? The answer is we've built enormously complex stuff chains that are underlying every single product from food to the water that you drink to the iPhone that you use to run your business. Every product in the modern world has an extremely complex stuff chain that makes it possible. So this podcast, Where Stuff Comes From, is in part a modest attempt to tell compelling stories about how that raw material in the ground and in the sky and in the oceans are transformed through a thrilling web of global mining processes, manufacturing processes, transportation systems, sales mechanisms, sociological and labor dynamics, economic pressures, financial pressures, you name it. How that's all transformed into the products that we know and love and that drive our civilization and human flourishing. Now, you're probably asking yourself this far into the episode, why is it important to know where stuff comes from? Why is that a question that you need to ask? And we'll explore this in much more detail as we get into this conversation. The short answer is, if you don't know where your stuff comes from, how do you know that you're going to be able to have access to it tomorrow? How do you know with any certainty or any significant probability that you're going to be able to have access to it tomorrow, in a week from now, in a year from now, in two years from now? And when your business is dependent on you having access to that stuff, or the survival of yourself and your family not going hungry, and or having clean water, depends on you having access to that stuff, not just right now, but reliably far into the future. And When you start to think of asking where your stuff comes from in that context, it becomes extremely re- relevant. A lot of people are talking about shortages right now. Well, the shortages, in my opinion, are supply chain issues and the backup on the port of LA that we're seeing. That's a directed result of us rejecting our responsibility to ask where stuff comes from. One of the key principles that I want to convey is that the global stuff chain is extremely delicate. One tiny interaction between two fishing boats somewhere in the South China Sea might make that new refrigerator that you need to buy to keep your food cold, something like 25% more expensive. Now this happened. It's a well-known incident. A Chinese fishing boat had a run in with a Japanese fishing boat in the South China Sea in 2011. And as a result, the Chinese Communist Party restricted rare earth element exports and therefore restricted magnet exports and therefore restricted the exports of some of the components that go into refrigerators to Japan, and that sent rare earth prices soaring up hundreds of percentages, which then translates down into more expensive end goods for the consumer. Worse yet, what happens when a hurricane in the Caribbean Sea pushes your non-essential surgery that you're scheduled to get in Wyoming back by four months until the IV bag quote-unquote chain? can recover from the only factory that made IV bags that supply United States hospitals because that factory was shut down by the hurricane in Puerto Rico for a few weeks. So now they're behind on production and you can't get an IV bag for your surgery. In your professional life and in your business, knowing about the stuff chains for each of the products and services that you use and provide might be the key to ensuring that your business is capable of successfully playing defense and anti-fragily playing defense in the event of a stuffed chain disruption in the not so distant future. We've seen that a lot throughout the pandemic. Right now, there are thousands of small businesses in the United States that have product sitting off the coast of Los Angeles because the stuff chain, the supply chain is broken and they're not able to generate cash to go buy more inventory because They can't sell anything to their customers. And I think, I suspect that there's going to be a solid amount of small businesses going out of business as a result of this stuff chain disruption. Now, I want want to take a second to talk about anti-fragility. It's a concept that a gentleman named Nassim Taleb, Nassim Taleb, I apologize for butchering uh, his last name pronunciation. He wrote a book all about anti-fragility. And it's the concept that when you drop a vase, it breaks. It's fragile. We all know that when you drop a iron weight it doesn't break it's strong it's you could say it's resilient or when you stretch a rubber band it's resilient but when you work out your muscles you're actually destroying muscle fibers only to have them be rebuilt and have them be rebuilt stronger so the concept of anti fragility is if if you have some sort of negative input that that breaks part of the system Does the system have the capacity to rebuild by itself, but rebuild so that it comes out stronger? So now you might say to me, but Max, I don't work with stuff. Everything I do is digital. My business is online. I develop software. I use the computer all day long. Well, that's fair, but let me ask you this. When you run your software as a service product with the latest and greatest machine learning algorithms, Spotify and Netflix, that have fundamentally transformed your industry, where does that software as a service product run? And what do you need to run your machine learning algorithms? So you could either be a consumer of a SaaS product, or you could be a producer of a SaaS product. You might say, everything I do is digital. But have you ever thought about where that machine learning algorithm, that really intense compute process that you're using to, as a consumer, either stream your content which is not a vital issue at all. But when you look at a business that runs their whole marketing campaign using machine learning tools, or you have vital files stored in the cloud and that's your business model, or you have all your important documents and all your memory stored in the cloud, you need to understand that that data is being stored somewhere physical. You might not see it, but it is. Those algorithms that are crunching that data need to be ran on physical hardware. So if we look at the stuff chain for your software as a service technology that seemingly is unrelated to any physical stuff whatsoever, we quickly realize that the SaaS's code runs on the cloud server somewhere at some time, and there is hardware underneath it. And if you're running powerful machine learning algorithms, you're probably using some of the more powerful computers that your cloud provider offers. Well, have you ever asked yourself where does that stuff come from aka the powerful computers that your cloud provider uses where does that come from is it at all possible that the stuff chain for those computers might be challenged disrupted or even worse in the near future are all of your algorithms designed to run on processors with highly complex stuff chains or are you trading the reliability of running on a wide range of different processor platforms For the stuff chain complexity that comes with running solely on an esoteric specialized processor manufactured halfway across the world in an adversarial or unstable region. Is there an opportunity for you to diversify the set of processors that your code can run on and thereby make your code more reliable from a where stuff comes from stuff chain perspective? The point of all of this is that the stuff chain is everywhere and it's foundational to our personal lives and our businesses. There's one more point I wanna to touch on here and then I'll wrap up, but as a lover of mindfulness and gratitude, it's, it's a practice that has been transformative for my life. I've come to learn that understanding the intense and difficult journeys that stuff takes to become our stuff really helps us build deep gratitude for the stuff that I use And that I depend on to live a modern life of luxury and flourishing. There's a great book written along these lines by a gentleman named AJ Jacobs called Thanks a Thousand, A Gratitude Journey. What does this have to do with where stuff comes from? Well, in this book, AJ spends a year, about a year, tracking down and thanking every single person who was responsible for getting him his morning cup of coffee. He ended up thanking over a thousand people over a very long period of time, again, something like a year. But when you really investigate these supply chains, and this was just for a cup of coffee, you realize how complex they are, how much work goes into every product, how much brilliance and intelligence is behind every product, how much skill and wisdom is behind every product, and how much of the human side of life is behind every product. And this is just an aside from the tactical business implications, the tactical creating more resilient personal lives implications of asking where stuff comes from. But it's an important aside. So to wrap up that whole ditty, understanding where stuff comes from is a powerful framework that will help us and does help me and helps people who I convey this concept to. Live more awake, more grateful, more intentional, more free, more independent, more resilient, more reliable, more anti-fragile lives. and likewise for building businesses. So to wrap up, over the past two years, leading up to to formally launching this podcast, in part thanks to introspecting about what's next following my my education in my Bachelor's of Science in Material Science and Engineering and my Master's of Science in Manufacturing Engineering. And number two, spending about two and a half years operating really on the bleeding edge of emerging technologies with my last job and, and seeing how freaking awesome the innovations that we've created are. But then realizing that that community was not necessarily asking in the most um, productive human-flourishing-oriented way possible, where the heck does all this stuff come from? And I realized that we can't make things in the United States, and we can't really make things in a lot of the free world right now. So that experience was insightful. And then the global pandemic hit, kicked in, and we saw and the ruptures in our industrial base and in our stuff chain became extremely apparent. So as a result of these three things, finishing my education, working in in the tech world, and again, the pandemic that's thrown everyone for a loop, I've been thinking consistently, nonstop, about the security of our most critical stuff chains and how it underpins our past, present, and future economic prospects and the potential for human flourishing. I also read a book a few years ago that one of my professors gave me uh, that, that really opened my eyes to the deep correlation between our stuff chains, the materials that we use, how we get those materials, and geopolitics throughout history. The book's called *The Substance of Civilization*, and in this seminal book, I, I really think it's seminal because it's a very unique breakdown of. There's a few books like this, but I, I particularly like this this one. It's a unique breakdown correlating the rise of different civilizations and the fall of different civilizations as. Um, their relative control over their supply chains and their relative ability to access different materials increased and waned over time. But in this book, Professor Stephen L. Sass, I believe he was at Cornell, he explains how the materials that society throughout history had access to and the reliability of that access determined how successful, how dominant, and how technologically advanced that civilization was ultimately able to become. It also dictated how free the civilization was. Uh, Sass doesn't talk about this in this book. I've read about this elsewhere, and I've I've gone pretty deep into the history, uh, correlating how free a civilization is to how reliable its supply chains are. Throughout history, empires from Rome to Samaria, to ancient Israel, to 20th century America, and many others have risen and fallen based on where stuff comes from and the stuff that they have access to. Where Stuff Comes From embodies deep, first principles physics, technological, philosophical, strategic, historical, and geopolitical considerations that will define the fate of governments, the present great power conflict that we're seeing unfold on the world stage. We'll get into that a lot on this podcast series. Millions of businesses in the United States and allied countries, and every single individual around the world all of these parties, all of these outcomes will be dictated by where our stuff comes from. When I originally wrote this essay, I had written that I'm not quite sure where this project will go. And, well, it's evolved into this podcast. And there are some other fun business plans in the works that I shall share as we go along. But regardless, if you strap in and follow along, I can guarantee you, that you'll find exciting growth as an individual, as an entrepreneur, as an investor, whatever your background is. And you'll also find answers, important answers to your own. Where does this stuff come from? Questions could be in your business, again, your personal life as a parent with behaviors that your kids are implementing. One of the first episodes that we're gonna be putting out is about how video game addiction, where does that come from? And what are the greater trends and the greater impacts that that's having on this stuff chain? These things are all related and when you pull one thread, you realize how complex and interwoven this entire canvas of a complex global economy, of a complex global system, how complex they are. I keep saying complex, it's because everything is complex, but it all comes back to where stuff comes from. So thinking through these topics might help you and your business or your businesses develop the holistic and bottoms up understanding that you need to make important evasive and defensive maneuvers to protect your interests and rethink where the stuff that you consume and sell comes from, while also identifying massive opportunities to create more resiliency, more reliability, and anti-fragility in your stuff chains. You might also get some really important answers that help you piece together pictures of the larger puzzle about where your stuff comes from. So I'll end with one simple question. Do you know where your stuff comes from? Thank you so much for listening to the Next Frontier Podcast. I hope that you'll join us for the next episode. If you'd like to learn more, share this content, or dig deeper into our library, head on over to thenextfrontierpodcast.com. That's nextfrontierpodcast.com.